Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, Marin. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm very well as well. Good to have you here. I'm very, uh, very curious about your um, uh, experiences hosting a game without, uh, without thrones. So my uh, curiosity is triggered by uh, the fact that I'm uh, hosting a virtual game without thrones. And I'm really Indeed. curious about leveraging your experience with a, with a real physical game without thrones with Lego. Uh, before we start, please, please share with us uh, what do you feel is the, is the purpose of the game without thrones and how is it played? Sure. So, so game without thrones is, as you said, it's a, it's an activity, a group activity, uh, done with, uh, Lego blocks. Um, or at least when I've done it, we've used Lego blocks. I know since in, in the recent times, some people have done it with other things like craft paper and you're now planning on doing a virtual version, but I've been doing the, the old fashioned version with Lego. And so, um, Game Without Thrones is actually part of the, uh, the business agility course. And its purpose is really to give the participants a, uh, an actual experience of the, the, the ideas we talk about in that business agility course. That is how to work together in an agile way with multiple teams interacting together to achieve a, a common goal without having any kind of command and control hierarchy telling them what to do. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that there's a few key things that we want people to learn when we do the course um, that we use Game Without Thrones to reinforce. Um, and also, for me, there's a really specific reason. So. You know, a lot of people, even if they're familiar with Agile, they're used to having a product owner. And, um, you know, the product owner is this sort of mythical beast who knows all, can decide what, you know, what the customers want and what has the most value and can think of every possible thing that needs to be done and prioritize it. And of course, you know, these mythical beasts simply don't exist. In many organizations, it's damn near impossible to find a product owner at all let alone one that can, you know, can think about all of the things that need to be done. And so the reality is teams need to actually come up with their own ideas. And then they need a way to bring those ideas in and, you know, agree on them and prioritize them and, and work out who's going to do what. And so from a practical sense, I really like Game Without Thrones because not only does it um, illustrate some specific, some specific things that we want to teach in terms of the business agility uh, course. But from a practical point of view, it teaches some really practical skills that people can go back and use. Um, and so the, the key things we're trying to teach with Game Without Thrones is how do you do, how do you work in an agile way um, without, with a number of teams working together without a traditional management structure? And so that means things like having chapter meetings where people with similar skills get together and you know brainstorm and discuss the challenges they're having and the ideas that they need to take back to their teams and having um, what we call council meetings where 
um, ideas or features get prioritized and everybody works out, okay, which are the things that we're going to work on next, which are the highest priorities. And in particular, something we call leadership as a service. So leadership as a service is a very simple pattern for how you run meetings and ensure that the meetings flow effectively and that decisions get made in a timely manner. And interestingly, I've been using a technique technique like this actually for many years and without you know knowing it with the label of leadership as a service and I really like the idea and and so essentially that idea is that when you have a group of people together you you aim for consensus but you have somebody that's really watching the clock and keeping things on track making sure that decisions are getting made in a timely manner and if they're not if decisions are moving too slowly, or if in particular people simply can't decide, then one person who has the role of being the speaker for that session will nominate someone in the group to make a recommendation for the team to follow. It's a very simple technique. It's really good at helping everybody first um, to reach a collaborative decision, and secondly, where they can't reach a collaborative decision to get hopefully the, the best person in the room to make a suggestion that then everybody follows. So they're the, they're the things that we're really, sorry? This, that sounds like a great way for, uh, for a, a, a basic stance of a product owner, right? So just yeah. let the team figure out the, the priorities and the, and the and stuff. And when, when the team uh, cannot reach a, con a, a conclusion fast enough, then make a decision in order to uh, keep the, the, the process uh, process going. Yeah. So exactly. And that's that's it's, it. Also resonates with uh, behavior. I've seen uh, good product owners uh, show. Good product product owners do exactly this. That's uh, yeah interesting. So I'm I'm really curious. Let's put this in the context of the game. So you mentioned. Uh, chapters, uh, councils, leadership as a service, no hierarchy, no managers. Yeah. How, how is this going to work? When, because we should be doing this with like 50 or 100 people, right? So that's exactly. the, that's, that's the idea. So tell us about the game and how these concepts tie into the game. So I have to say, the first, I, I've run this now, ooh, I think six times. And I have to say, the first time I ran this and I had a, a colleague helping me and um, honestly it was a bit of a mess because we hadn't done it before and we were trying to understand ourselves how to do this while we also were facilitating the group um, and I think after six times uh, we've got pretty effective at, at getting things to run so the basic idea is you get people um, together and you get them into groups of preferably six and um, what we do is we get each group of six around a table and um, you give them a pile of Lego to, to play with. And, you know, people love playing Lego with Lego. And so you get the teams of six. And if you have, um, so every uh, sort of 18 people roughly, so that's three teams, you can, we combine into what we call a stream. And I'll get back in a little while to what that means. But essentially, so we have uh, 
each stream has around about 18 people. And so if you have a lot more people than that, you have multiple streams. And each stream, so each group of roughly 18 people, is working together to build a castle out of Lego. Right? And um, so we give them all a pile of Lego and we say to them, look, for the purposes of the, of the exercise, each person in the team, so each of the six people, is going to have a particular role that they're going to play. That means they're going to focus on a particular metric. So they're going to be thinking always, how do I uh, maximize that particular metric? Okay, and so in our case, we have uh, roles like artists who were measured by the, the geometry and the symmetry of the castle. And the architects who are looking at building sort of the largest castle and the merchants who want to build lots of different rooms, because if you're going to have a nice castle, you want lots of different rooms so that it's so that it's cool and interesting. And we have someone called the Meister and the Meister's job is to make the castle sturdy because, you know, the first wind or the first dragon that comes by, you don't want the castle just blowing over. And then we have a role of the captain, and the captain's job is to maximize the defenses. It's not much point in having a castle if it can't protect itself. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, the captain is thinking about things like trebuchets and pots of boiling oil and all this kind of thing. And then finally, we have the, the speaker. So the speaker's job is to work with the other members of the team to maximize all of their metrics, okay? So each of, those in, each of those individuals is given this, uh, this role for the game. And um, I talked about the chapters. So each of those is, is what we call a chapter. And during the game, and I'll talk through the, the cycle in a minute, but during the game, there is a time when each of those individuals moves away from their team into their chapter. So all of the artists get together and all of the meisters get together and they talk about what are the challenges we're having? You know, how, how, what's challenging us from building a, a robust castle or a big castle? And what ideas do we have that would make that better? And also what things do we need to, do we need to build? You know, so the, uh, the architects might be saying, look, we really need to agree that we're gonna build a big wall around the castle to enclose as much space as possible so that we can put lots of things inside. And the merchants would be saying, look, you know, we need to make sure that we're not all building the same room. You know, we don't need um, five dungeons in our castle. So we need to agree that we're going to have a ballroom and a kitchen and a bedroom. And we have to agree which team is going to do which. And so the, these chapters are really important because they create a flow of information between the teams. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so we've got everyone around a table and we've allocated them all their, uh, or they've allocated themselves these roles. Normally we give them cards so they can pick one each. And then we, we explain to them the flow of the game. And then in the first, uh, so each um, activity that we do is basically five minutes long. And the first activity they do is, is essentially a building activity. But at the moment, they, they don't know what to build other than that they're building a castle. So we tell them, look, just um, spend the first five minutes really brainstorming, work out how you're going to work together, you know, how are you going to pick your Lego, who's going to do what, just work out how you're going to operate as a team. So usually they start fiddling around building things and experimenting and, 
And after the first five minutes, we say, okay. Um, now, the biggest problem with this game is getting people to stop playing with the Lego. Uh, we actually, I think some of the games, we, we've actually brought a whistle because it was the only way we could get everybody's attention. Mm. Um, so, so after the first five minutes, we, we get all of the people to break into their chapters. Okay, and the chapters, um, so for example, if we had three teams or, or, of six, then there would be three people in each chapter. And those people would go and meet together and talk about um, what's going well, what else do we need to do? And normally we get them to put up on a board like a Kanban board with three columns. Okay, and we say, okay, so you're going to do this um, sort of Kanban board and you're going to put what are your problems, what have you learnt, um, and what are you proposing as either features, things to be built, or agreements. We call the agreements treaties. So the agreements might be things like, okay, um, you know, I, I'm suggesting that my team will focus on building the, the biggest wall around the castle possible. And another team is gonna to build towers. And the third team is gonna focus on building the, you know, the living quarters. And so they have five minutes to do that exercise. And then after that five minutes is finished, um, uh, they take all of their, their features that they've worked out. Usually I give them post-it notes to write them on and their agreements if they have any, and they go back into their teams. Mm -hmm. And um, so some of them will then, um, so normally after the first cycle, there's not a lot to, to build, right? They won't have built, built much. But what we do is we get um, uh, six of the 18 to get together into what we call a council meeting. And usually we rotate them around so that everyone has a, a chance. So six of them get together in the council meeting and you won't be surprised to know that they now have another five minutes. And in that five minutes, their job is to take all of the different um, ideas that were proposed in those chapter meetings and prioritize them. Okay, well, you know, we've got a, a wall and a tower and a, a dungeon and a kitchen and which things are most important. And we get them to put them up on a board in order of highest priority, second priority and everything else. And so their job is to do the prioritization so that then everybody knows what are the priorities we've agreed. And while they're doing that, everybody else is taking whatever's been built so far and in their stream and trying to start putting a castle together. Okay, and in the first round, there's not usually a lot of castle to build because they've not built stuff a lot yet. And then finally, they all get back together in their teams and uh, we, we spend the last five minutes doing a, a, a retrospective, a review of what actually happened, how did they work together, and what are they going to do differently in the next round. Okay. So we've basically had um, uh, four things happening, really. We've had the, you know, the build phase, playing with Lego. We've then had the chapter meetings discussing, you know, what, what do we need to do? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to get this castle built? We've had the, the council, which has now prioritized all of these ideas. And finally, the, the retrospective at the end to work out how are the teams going to work more effectively. Yeah. So, and the... Uh, during the uh, during the council, the 
participants that do not uh, take a seat in the council are integrating their work, right? Exactly. Exactly right. And, and what, what is the moment that the, the, the treaties get uh, ratified, so to speak? So the treaties get ratified in the, in the, in the last uh, five minutes. So during the retrospective, okay. when the team is agreeing... So this is actually one of the mechanics that took us a bit of time to get working. So because there's a lot happening in that last five minutes. First of all, the team is doing a retro, a retrospective. They're saying... What, what are we going to do differently next time? And often they come up with ideas like, oh, you know, we spent too much time sifting through the Lego. Uh, we spent way too much time trying to build, you know, really complicated things. We need, to, we need to come up with a better plan for separating the Lego out. We need to agree what we're going to build first before we start building. They come up with these kind of ideas. Yeah. And they also need to agree, the, you know, confirm these treaties or agreements. And that often means they have to run around and talk to the other teams because the, if you remember the treaties were discussed at the chapter meetings. So now everybody's back in their, in their team and, you know, one person says, well, I discussed or we agreed that, you know, we're going to build the wall and this other team is going to build the towers. And one of the other uh, participants says, Oh, in my chapter meeting, we agreed the opposite. Mm. So they then have to go and talk to the other team and say, look, we need to actually agree, right? We've got two conflicting agreements here. Um, we're going to have to work out which one we're going to do, right? Because we can't both build the wall and both build the tower, okay? And so that, so that happens in the last five minutes. So that last five minutes is often pretty hectic. Yeah. So that's a cycle, right? So we, those four events, those four lots of five minutes, um, are a cycle and then we basically do it again now of course for the second cycle um, you know usually the teams are a bit more organized they've already worked out some things they're going to do differently they've now actually got some features they go to the board where these things have been prioritized and they pull cards and they say right we're going to build um, a tower right and then they start building so the second round a lot more happens Mm -hmm. We do exactly the same thing. They have five minutes for building. Then they have five minutes for their chapter meeting. They come up with new features. They might come up with new agreements. We have another five minutes for the council. The second time while the council's meeting, usually now they have some stuff built. So while the council's meeting, everybody else is trying to get, oh, get this together into a castle and work out how the towers bolt onto the wall and, you know, re they realize that, that things are the wrong size and they're going to have to make some changes. And then they go back and they, they do their retrospective. And usually when I've done Game Without Thrones, we normally do at least three rounds, right? This, this whole process, by the time you explain everything to everyone, uh, you get them all set up, you get them all Lego, you know, you, you do the first round, which takes a fair bit of time. Um, you know, doing three rounds with all of that explanation and stuff, you know, you're normally getting up to around two hours, maybe longer. So that's pretty chunky time. Um, if there's time, like when I do the course, we often maybe even do a f another round because by then it really, the teams are really in there, you know, sort of in the run of things and people love doing, you know, playing with Lego, but also it really gives them an experience that really locks down um, wow, you know, we've only been at this for, for an hour or two and look at how much improvement we've got in terms of our, 
you know, in terms of our process and look at, and, you know, usually they build some pretty impressive castles. Well, I've had castles with guards on the doors. I've had castles with dragons perched on the tower. I mean, some pretty creative stuff. And then at the end, you say to people, what do you think? And they're like, this is incredible. It's like we've spent, you know, most of us didn't even know one another. We've spent, you know, an hour and a half um, we've had no management telling us what to do. We've had no product owner and we've actually built this incredibly cool uh, construction together. And so people are often really shocked at how productive they could have been. And I often say to them, look, you know, if, if you were going to, if you'd done this the way you do things, you know, at your work, how would it have gone? And usually they laugh and say, well, you know, actually, if we were doing this at work, we wouldn't have finished the first meeting to actually plan what we were going to do. Yeah. You know, I like I like what you said that 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 you you see that people are uh, amazed by what they themselves can do, yeah. right? That's 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 a, that's that's maybe the the ultimate experience of coaching, right? Exactly, and that's why I love this ex exercise so much. You know, I could stand up front and blather on with PowerPoint slides and explain this to them. Um, but firstly, they wouldn't really get it. And secondly, um, you know, it would be me telling them. Whereas when they actually do it, first of all, it takes much less explanation from me because they actually do it a couple of times. And, you know, the learning pattern is that if you, if you, something is explained to you and then you do it at least several times, you sort of get it into your muscle memory. And we're doing it physically, which really enhances the learning. And secondly, they do it themselves. You know, I don't, when I run this, and I know the other people that do this are the same, you know, I don't give them any tips, suggestions, feedback at all about their, what they're building in their castle. It's entirely their piece of work, right? They create the thing themselves. They work out what it, you know, what they're going to build, how they're going to build it, how big it's going to be, the parameters. And they're really impressed at the end when they say, wow, you know, and then of course the question I always ask them at the end is, so now could you go back to your, your job and work like this? And usually there's a lot of nodding and going, well, you know, it's going to be difficult in the, the, you know, with our management to get them to understand this, but you know, this was really cool. If we could work like this, that would be so much better than the way we work now. And that's really the point. Right. That's what we're trying to get people to understand is, you know what, self-organizing, you know, the Agile Manifesto talks about self-organizing teams. You know, people talk about like, this is what we mean, right? Yeah. We mean self-organizing. We mean actually working out what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, getting together jointly and making agreements, you know, trying stuff and saying, oh, hang on a minute, you know, our wall and your wall are different sizes. They're not going to fit together. Well, we've got to refactor. But they do it themselves. Right? There's nobody externally saying, no, 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 you did that wrong. You know, it's, it's, our architecture board said it has to be three, you know, no. So that's why I love this so much. And it's so much fun to run because when you see the, just the joy in people's faces, often very senior people, you know, who, who have been working for many years as project managers or even some as, you know, doing agile. But when they see this kind of way of working, they're like blown away wow, okay, that's what it means to work in a self-organizing way. Yeah. And what I also like about this is that it's not only self-organizing on, on a team level, but it's also about uh, aligning the activities of 
all those teams. So, yeah. uh, and that's, that's yeah. of course, something that uh, many frameworks try to achieve. Yeah. Um, but I find, for instance, with my, my main practical experiences with SAFE, yeah. that it, um, it loses the, the, the energy that you have in your, in your self-organizing team. Exactly. You don't see that energy across the teams. No. So, and I'm really curious about, uh, if, from what I hear you speak, and if I, if I hear your, your enthusiasm, then I can see the uh, energy flowing across the team. Yeah. And, that's, and, and, and I think that's, uh, that can be really powerful, really interesting. You know, the, the, the funny thing is, Marin, I mean, I, you know, is, is I've been running projects and programs for 25 to 30 years now. You know, when I came from a traditional project management background, you know, I, I studied engineering, I'm PMP certified, uh, in the past, I did prints, you know, before prints too, there was a prints. Um, you know, so I came from that very much structured hierarchical background. And over the years, I realized that, you know, there are better ways to do things. And I looked at SAFE, and for me, SAFE is trying to take that old-fashioned hierarchical structure and just label it differently. But it doesn't actually really fundamentally change anything. And what we're trying to do is, is fundamentally change something. And, you know, I, people often say to me, well, this is good in theory, but how does it work in practice? Well, you know, I run projects of, of you know, 80, 100, 150, 150 And this is how I work. And, you know, I've had, you know, very senior people at very large organizations, you know, I'm talking COO level at major banks, say to me, I've never seen anybody run a project or a program the way that you do, but it's just, it, it's amazing how well it works. You know, what do you do? And it's like, it's really not rocket science. I don't do very much. I, what I do is I allow the people to actually do the job we've hired them to do. I empower them and I trust them. I don't, um, you know, I don't try and micromanage them. I don't try and tell them how to do their job. I don't, you know, I don't get in their way. I get out of their way and then I provide them support. And for me, that's really what leadership as a service is about. It's about being there as a leader, helping to set the vision and then supporting them, not getting in their way and saying, okay, you know, I need you all to come into a meeting for three hours to tell me what you've done um, so that I can tell you all what you did wrong and yell at you and, and tell you what you're going to do in the next, you know, in the next week. I'm really curious now that you're saying this. Um, do you feel that your uh, role as a, a facilitator of this game uh, reflects your uh, your work well? I think it, it really does. I mean, that was one of the things that that I it, I enjoyed and also surprised me. You know, when I first came across, um, you know, the the X scale. Uh, patterns um, uh, you know I, I was looking at some of what of which this is part I was looking at some of that and thinking hey that's really interesting that's someone else doing the same kind of things that I've been doing uh, and there's you know there's some names for some of this stuff um, so yeah it really reflects well the way that I work and that's one of the reasons that I I think I enjoy it so much. And, you know, I've invited some of the people I work with on projects to come and 
you know, attend a game without thrones with me. And then afterwards they look at me and say, oh, so that's what you're doing. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. Well spotted. Now you know why. It's also great to, to, uh, uh, to explain to your children what you're doing at work. Can you, <laughs> can, can you imagine that? So as a, uh, as a facilitator in the, in, for, this, for this particular game, uh, what, what are typical type of uh, interventions you'd make and uh, why and when? Um, well, as I said, the, the number one problem is getting people to stop playing with the Lego. Um, and often I find that, you know, during the, so during, for example, the retrospective, people start building stuff. Right? And I really have to go around and say, look, can I please ask you not, you know, the focus now is to look, look at your process and work on your process and work on ratifying the treaties and not just trying to build something, you know, leave that till the next round. Mm -hmm. So that's one intervention um, that I've had to make. Um, sometimes, you know, this idea of the treaties is often foreign, you know, because people are so used to being told what their, you know, what their job is, what their role is, what their scope is that, you know, some people actually need a bit of coaching to get over this idea that, oh, we actually have to agree um, what we're doing. You know, you're not going to tell us. Uh, we thought you would tell us which group is going to do what. So, no, you got to work that out yourself. So that sometimes needs a bit of, a bit of support because at the first round, people really struggle a bit and say, well, we don't really know how to do this. Um, to be honest, that's it. I, I haven't really had to do much else. Um, you know, once, I mean, honestly, the, the, the game without thrones is fairly, it sounds complex, right? The first time you go through it, it's like, oh, well, you know, we've got, we've got these teams and these chapters and these council meetings and, and retrospectives. And, but when you've actually done it even one time, it's all pretty simple. And so once people have sort of been through it the first time, uh, they generally just get on with it. Um, and uh, so there's not much else I found that I've needed to do in terms of, um, you know, some, sometimes, I mean, I will keep an eye on, like sometimes you get the, you know, the odd character who's used to being the, the boss, mm -hmm. right? And so you might get one person that starts trying to dominate and, and tell the team, oh, look, you know, so we're going to do this. And so sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes I might just, have a quiet word to say to someone and say, look, you know, we need to, um, you know, we need to make sure that everybody's getting a chance to input. And this is where I, I often remind them of the leadership as a service model, right? To say, you know, it's, it's a consensus. Um, but I honestly don't have a lot. Maybe it's because I've been doing a lot of this in Switzerland and in Switzerland, culturally, there is this, there is a culture here of, um, agreement, right? I mean, it's the way the whole Swiss society works. The whole political system is based on this notion of agreement and compromise, you know, and, and things, if they want to make a substantial change to something, it's put to a vote and, you know, people need to vote on whether they agree with the change or not. So maybe in other cultures, it might be more, there might be more difficulty but I found here people get pretty easily the idea of, okay, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to come up, collaborate and come up with an agreement. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And not, not, not much facilitation required beyond uh, keeping 
the time box and helping them with the with the treaties. Exactly. So, do, do you, for instance, start off with uh, with a couple of treaties? The one that comes to mind uh, to my mind now is a simple treaty that says, "Well, uh, uh, the treaties are ours to make." For instance, that could be like a, a treaty where you the way you start off with and. Treaties are changed in the chapter meeting or proposed in the chapter meeting or, is, or, or do you lay that down as rules instead of treaties that the players themselves own? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say either. I, I, I just uh, it's not a treaty, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a rule. I mean, I just explained to them that one of the things um, that they might want to do in the chapter meeting is come up with uh, treaties or agreements. And I explain why, and then I say, look, you know, any any agreements you've come up with, then um, rat will be ratified at the the retrospective. And I sort of leave it at that. So I explain it as part of the process, but I don't, you know, I've had groups that literally haven't come up with a single treaty. Right? They just decided they didn't need to. Um, I've had other groups that were really focused on it. The last group I I ran. Uh, which we did in London in the UK, um, they were actually pretty, you know, again, maybe it's a cultural thing. They were actually pretty good at coming up with some quite nicely, nicely defined um, agreements to say, you know, yeah, we've agreed, you know, they had agreements around things like the, um, the number of blocks, uh, the width and the height of the wall. And, you know, they, they, they came up with a number of agreements just amongst themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I don't, I don't normally sort of pre, predetermine any treaties for them. No. Okay. Cool. Interesting. One thing that I'm uh, wondering about now is uh, what, do the, what do the players learn? What have you he heard from the players that they learn? Um, and is there something that you do at the end to, um, uh, to reflect on the game as a whole, for instance, or... Um, yeah, so in terms of, so in terms of the reflection, so what I do, um, di different people that run this do things in a different order. What I like to do is I like to explain the game and then really get into it, right? Um, and then at the end, we, we have a couple of slides that uh, really show in sort of diagrammatically the, the teams with the six chapters and the squads and it shows kind of uh, graphically the process. And I use those at the end to debrief. So I put those up and say, look, just to reiterate what we've done, you know, we got you into these three teams. We, you know, we had these chapter meetings and, and so on and so forth. And so I walk through again and, and reinforce what we've done. And during that, I ask them if there's any questions. And, and then that's when I ask them, um, you know, things like, okay, do you think you could do this back in your you know, back when you go back to your job and what might be some of the challenges. And we, we usually discuss that in terms of feedback. I've had a few people give me feedback after the workshops. Um, and it's generally been one of two things. It's either been, <laughs> um, it's either been people saying, wow, you know, I've gone back to where I work and I've started to realize just how badly we, mm. we work, mm. you know, compared to what I saw in that, you know, we really don't have any of that, um, self-organization at all and I can really see now how that's hurting us and you know usually those people say to me either you know they're 
they're trying to change the, the culture or maybe they, they think they might need to move somewhere else. <laughs> um, and then the other feedback, which is a lot more positive, is people say, look, you know, we've tried some of this out and, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it, right? Um, and, you know, I've had one or two people give me, you know, some really positive feedback on this. Because one of the things is there are lots of people out there, you know, lots of organizations are doing some kind of agility now, right? Whether it's, you know, whether it's Scrum or Kanban or Lean or, or you know, XP or, or any number of different things or even none of those, just their own, you know, their own version. There are lots of people doing things to be more, you know, to, to, to create more agility in the way they work. Because let's face it, the, the whole agile concept is pretty, pretty damn simple, right? It's like we, we want to deliver things regularly. We want uh, people to be able to work together closely. We want close collaboration with our, you know, with our um, customers. So, I mean, none of this is rocket science, right? So people have gone, oh, actually, this, this is a good idea. We should do that. So lots of people are doing it. And one of the biggest problems they struggle with is how to do it with more than a small number of people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the feedback, I, feedback I often get is, oh, you know, we've been doing Scrum for a while, but, you know, we've really struggled to have multiple teams. And um, this is great. You know, we've, we've, we've started by setting up chapters, right? Yeah. Now, just that, you know, can make a huge difference to the way people work, right? I had one client here in Zurich that had actually been doing Scrum um, I think really effectively for some years. And I mean, they asked me to, to come in and look at what they were doing and I was impressed. You know, they really seemed to be, that they had a good understanding of, of what Scrum was, how to actually implement it, um, and they were getting good results. Their problem was that they had all their Scrum teams were really working independently. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, you know, we, we, we tried sort of doing scrub of scrums, but that didn't work. And we had these consultants come in and try, you know, scaling our agile and, and that was horrible. And, and we gave up on that. Um, and they just loved, they said, this is so simple. We don't know why, you know, why we never thought of it before, right? Just the idea of having chapters and councils. Um, so it took a, you know, a team that was already working effectively with, you know, with an agile process and let them take it to the next level and then and let their teams work together more effectively. Right. So, yeah, that's the kind of feedback I've had. Great. Yeah. When I, when I hear you speak and when I, uh, when I see you telling about um, uh, the games you've hosted, I can see the enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> No, it's fun. That's why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope that, uh, that, that when you only listen to this podcast, you can, you can hear that as well. Yeah. And look, it's, I mean, one thing is, I mean, I have, I have now a, a literally a suitcase full of Lego. In fact, I have so much Lego now that when, when I flew to London, I had to take some out because the suitcase was too heavy. Um, <laughs> uh, which of course my daughter has benefited greatly. She's, seven and a half years old. And so she has lots and lots of Lego to play with. Um, but you know, you don't have to have Lego to do this, right? I mean, we've had people do this now with just craft paper where they, they built towers and stuff with paper and, and I've seen some of the results and it was very cool. And as you said, you're now working on a, a virtual simulation version, right? So 
um, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, we'd love to do this, but, you know, we don't have that much Lego. And, you know, usually I say, well, you know, we can probably do something about that, but if not, do it with something else. Yeah. You know, don't make the Lego the reason that you don't do the, the exercise. You know, that's just what we just chose that because it was an easy way to, you know, most people, certainly in this part of the world, most people are familiar with Lego. It's, it's very widely available and it's easy to use, but you can use other stuff. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. I've got, a, I've got a quite some uh, uh, information that is helpful uh, to me already. Um, is there something you would like to uh, uh, leave uh, me and our listeners uh, with before we put an end to this interview? Well, I would only say, I mean, the, you know, like everything that we do in Xscale, you know, we, we, we like to talk about Xscale as being the, the Linux of the agile world, right? I mean, this is an open source um, collection of patterns. We publish the information freely. You know, if you go onto LinkedIn, we've written various articles about um, Game Without Thrones explaining what it is and how it works. Um, I would suggest people have a go at it. And if they, if they need some help facilitating, you know, there are coaches now all over the world that are, you know, that have experience in running these things that can help them. Um, but, you know, I've explained the process already in this, in this video. They can go and look stuff up online. I mean, they, they should go and try it for themselves. That would be the best thing. I mean, you can tell I, I enjoy doing it. Everyone, you know, I've had, I mean, Switzerland is, is a little conservative, right? I've had teams of, you know, 30-something people who I didn't know before um, in a room for a couple of hours. And at the end of the room, they're all standing up cheering and clapping, right? It, it just, you know, it creates a lot of excitement and fun. Uh, so I would just suggest people go and do it. Love it. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Have a good night.